who will survive? Means nothing. Nothing means nothing. What do you mean by that? I'm talking about all the way to the top. Yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. But the cream rise to the top. give you a show like you have never ever seen before why because i can hello everyone welcome to a very special episode of the positively processing podcast it's a crossover episode with the raw is nitro podcast and on the line we have the host of the Rise Nitro podcast. Introduce yourself. Uh, it's Lee Carlos Cunningham from Rory's Nitro podcast. How's it going? It's going good, man. You're what? It's noon Australia time? Yeah, yeah. Some Sunday? Or no, Monday, right? Monday, yeah. Okay, yeah, so we are Sunday night, 10 o'clock, central Chicago time here over in the U.S. And Lee and I did a show uh, about a year and a half ago, which never saw the light of the day oh, because man. there was audio issues. It happens, right? Yeah, that was completely my fault and one of my biggest podcasting regrets to this day. I um, I botched it quite badly. <laughs> well, we we all learn. And I, I've had one of those too. Like I had an interview with someone and the audio was just terrible. And I'm like, I can't release this. Like I wanted to, but it just, it happens. It's okay. We have a, we have a backup recording option now, so we're good to go. Amazing. All right. So you could follow us guys on Twitter at PPW Podcast, Positively Processing Podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your favorite podcast from. We're there. If you want to support the show, you can head to whatmaneuver.net, pick up a t shirt. We got a couple designs up there. And also, if you want to support uh, indie wrestlers now, head to Why Maneuver or Pro Wrestling Tees or High Spots and pick up some DVD sales and stuff. Everyone's kind of on pause for the next at least month or so. So let's support everyone where we can. And uh, that's a couple ways to do that. And you could follow Lee at the Raw is Nitro podcast also on Twitter. He's at Raw is Nitro pod. And then find you on the, all your favorite podcast apps, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, iTunes, Spotify, etc., um, SoundCloud. Yeah, all the other fun stuff. So before we get into today's topic, what's new, man? How, how's it going over there? Everyone's in the same boat. How you doing? Yeah, uh, not too bad, really. We're on. We're not, we're not on full lockdown in Brisbane here yet, but we the, the schools are closed, so my daughter's yeah. at home. Um, I'm temporarily stood down from work, which is the case for millions of people across the world, so not complaining about it, but a bit of an enforced house holiday for the family at the moment. Yeah, it's basically like I told my wife, it's like, all right, we have an extended winter break and spring break combined into one. And at the end of the day, we're we bring, we're being asked to sit home and hang out, <laughs> so it's not the world's biggest sacrifice. So we could all do it. And we're going to talk wrestling, and this episode was, I think, a mutual suggestion. We're going to take a look back at the film No Holds Barred, starring Terry Hulk Hogan or Terry Bollea, wherever he's billed as, as Rip. And there's a lot to talk about about this this movie. Oh yeah, this was brilliant. I actually. Uh, bought the DVD of this probably about two years ago on a holiday in England and planned on at some point watching it to record audio and just never did it. I don't know if I... I've never done a movie review before, so I didn't really feel comfortable doing it on my own. And then I think I saw you posted on Twitter that you were going to watch it at some point, and I'm like, hey, I want to watch that too. Let's do this together. Yeah, and... <laughs> all right, so I, I have a lot of memories about this movie, and it's not necessarily... 
like me seeing it in the theater because I wasn't really old enough to go see it in the theater because this came out in 89, so I would have been four years old, or no, five years old. Uh, no, June 2nd, 89, so I would have been almost five years old when this movie came out, but I do have memories renting the tape. So when was the first time you saw No Holds Barred? Uh, the same. I think you and I are about the same age. I'm trying, I'm trying to do the mental math. I think I would have been about five or six in 89 as well, um, and I rented it on VHS as well, so not too long after it, it came on video. All right. So, did you uh, did you purchase it? Was this like a rental at the video store or the grocery store, wherever you guys had your video? Because I know some places have video store rentals in the grocery store, some at shops. What did you have? No, I would have. Um, I, I, at the time this came out, I would have been living in England, and I don't know that you could actually purchase these tapes. So, I would have just rented it and watched it from the video store. Yeah, that's the thing too. A lot of people don't realize is like some of these wrestling tapes. You even like the VHS tapes. I have the collections of them. You look on there. You had to order from a catalog, and like back in like '87, WrestleMania three was thirty nine ninety five to own, which is insane for then. It's insane for now. So renting was really the only way we could go for this. Uh, all right, so let's let's just get started. Well, first off, we'll start with the first time we saw this movie. All right, I was probably I'm gonna say six probably or something like that. And I don't know about your video store, but mine put this in the special interest or the wrestling of the sports section next to the other tapes. So I saw Hogan on it and I thought it was a wrestling tape, but I realized pretty quickly it was a movie. Uh, where, where was, where did you guys first see it? Where did you first run into it? I would have got, got it in a video store somewhere in England. Um, I lived in England until I was seven in 91. So I would have seen it before leaving, but my probably the truest memories I've got are re-renting it over here in Australia after we moved across here. And yeah, it was just parked in the wrestling section like everything else. Um, and I would just grab it from time to time and rewatch it. Yeah. And all right. So was, th- was this a tape for you that you rented multiple times over and over again as a kid, as kids tend to do, you have a kid. Now you understand they watch the same thing a hundred times over. Uh, did you watch this over and over again? Yeah, I probably would have rented it once when it was a new release. I don't know if it's yeah. like this in the States, but if, you know, effectively they'd stay in the new, new release section for about six months or so. And then mm-hmm. after that, they would be a hell of a lot cheaper to rent. You could get them for a week. And we would have things over here where you could get like seven weekly VHS for $7. And that's when it would get re-rented again and again when they got down into that price range. Yeah, it was pretty much the same thing here. Like the new releases were like you had them for a day and it was like three fifty at night. And then the older movies were like a buck. You got to keep them for longer. Exactly. And what my, what some of my video stores did, and this is like a, it clicked only today. I don't know why I ever thought about it, but it clicked today thinking about it. I remember seeing this a lot, not because I necessarily, I seeked it out to rent a lot, but they would have like rent one, get one free at the video store, but it'd be categories. You couldn't get two new releases. You'd get two old ones. So I would rent my super tape and my WrestleMania six or whatever it is. And it would be a free, and I'm like, ah, I'll throw a No Holds Bards as the add-on. It's like a, it's like a change of pace for me to watch, to watch a movie. <laughs> and uh, so that's like, it was a cool memory that I triggered. So thank you for helping me trigger that memory. Uh, I picture Mini Me at the video store browsing. Like, oh, I guess I'll grab No Holds Bard, and it was never out. I think I was the only person that rented this day. But it was never out. 
Uh, this VHS talk has actually triggered a horrible memory of mine. I would oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Late teens, maybe 18, 19, when DVD became a thing. And I was going around to all my local uh, video stores and purchasing all mm-hmm. the Coliseum videos, much akin to the setup you've got now. And I was getting them dirt yeah. cheap, like $5 Australian a pop. And I would have had like a good hundred of these tapes, similar to what you've got. And then they all got released on the Tag Classics. And I just thought, oh, no one's ever going to want VHS again. I put them all yep. in the garbage. Yeah, man. You know, I didn't do that, but I did similar to you. I purchased a bunch of VHS tapes from a video store and not as many as I have now nearly, but there was a while where like I was noticing on eBay, people were selling lots of like wrestling tapes. I'm like, I'll just sell these. So I got like 50 bucks and I was in college and broke. So it was like perfect for me. I've since had to go back and rebuy a few of them, but just like you, like, like all these are all coming out on a DVD. I don't need these anymore. But then the nostalgia hits and then you see kind of like the artwork that is this cover art of these awesome tapes and you want to keep them. And that's part of the reason I have them too in my house and uh, my collection as well that's ever growing. Now, when you were a kid, well, we'll talk about this from two different ways. There was the view of us now as adults watching it and the view of children watching it as, <laughs> as six or seven year old kids. I was like mesmerized by this movie. I don't know why. And looking back at it now, I don't know why I was so mesmerized. It's not a good movie. <laughs> like, do you remember loving this thing? I, I loved it. I really did. Um, it was so rare to see wrestling in the cinemas in uh, on film. I mean, I loved this. Mm-hmm. I also loved Suburban Commando and a couple of the Hulk movies before they really went down the drain quite quickly. But um, yeah, from childhood memories, I actually really just loved this. Um, Anything with, with wrestling scenes in it. I mean, I loved Rocky Three for the same reason. Um, mm-hmm. Just to see a wrestler on the big screen was amazing. Yeah, for sure. And that's probably me too. Like, I talk about it a lot, is wrestling was everything. So whenever you saw something, you're like, okay, I'm in. Like, I, I, I hear King Kong Bundy's on Married with Children's and I'm going to watch that or, or something, you know. Vader uh, on Boy so Meets let's World. Get in, oh, that was, that's probably the best Boy Meets World episode ever anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So the plot of this movie is kind of all over the place. And let's let's talk about before I don't want to I keep going back but I rewatched this movie today and I've seen it in the past year and a half but I really sat down and like concentrated on the movie today. I I don't this wasn't a good movie and it it's it, to me it's not even so good it's bad but it at some point during the movie, I found myself like really getting into it again. So I can't explain it. Overall, I think it's a terrible movie. And like, if I watch my like my wife to sit down and watch it, she would last like three minutes. <laughs> but us as wrestling fans and other wrestling fans, I think it's not bad enough. So it could be a cult movie, but it's just still just a bad movie that's good but not in a good way it's just a weird way of saying that if you get what i'm saying oh absolutely i tell you the, the most jarring thing there was two things that really stood out to me that my memory did not allow this to kick in the first was how it was actually just wwf it wasn't like a, in my mind going back years and thinking about this i thought it was all like a fictional universe but no it was wwf you had jesse ventura and mean gene on commentary joey morella as a referee and the winged eagle uh, belt as the title um, i don't remember that at all from watching this as a kid yeah, and it's also weird with this with this movie. Hulk, they don't recognize that Hulk works for the WWF. He works for just network television or something. It, it's it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it is, and I think they thought like, okay, let's not make Hulk associate with WWF, and let's make him blue instead of yellow, 
And at the end, in the last scene of the movie, I'm skipping ahead here, but as Hulk's making his way to the a rip, I should say, it's making his way to the ring to face Zeus. The camera kind of pan zooms into the belt, and like I paused it, I'm like, oh, it it does say WWF on that winged eagles. They just took the plates and put them on a white strap, so they didn't even try to change it. And they must have done the tapings for the match of the first scene of the movie at like a. I don't know, like a, a TV taping or something. They probably just did it. And you could tell it must have been at the end because there was empty seats in the crowd. Uh, you saw there too. Yeah, it looked, the like a, the movie. it looked like an old wrestling challenge taping or something, didn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, so Again, so the basic plot of this movie is Rip Thomas, played by Hulk Hogan, the World Wrestling Federation champion. And he's on network television. He's been the thorn of a side of a, a network head of the World Television Network. And I think the guy's name is Brell. And the movie starts off with, like you said, Hulk Hogan wrestling a match. But again, it's Rip. And it's so, I'm going to keep correcting myself because he has all the same mannerisms as Hogan, except he does the rip him sign, which is uh, kind of like a hang loose Hawaiian sign with a first finger knuckle. A so crush. They, the, <laughs> but it's not because he adds the knuckle. <laughs> the rip him. And, uh, then Hulk, and then this this network guy sees Hulk or Rip on TV, and is furious, and he wants to get Rip on his network, and that's kind of how this whole movie takes off. He, he it starts off as a wrestling movie, then it just kind of takes off from there. He doesn't just want Rip though; he wants that jockass. And all right, let's talk about jockass. Okay, <laughs> so Kurt Fuller plays the network executive, the evil network executive from World Television Network. And he keeps saying, instead of jackass, jockass. And I think they thought it would have been a, like a hilarious quip, but it's just stupid. <laughs> he says it so many times. I was really hoping that you'd come on and go, no, Lee, like, this is an American thing. We know what he means, but no, apparently not. <laughs> no, no, nobody here says jockass. And I think Kurt Fuller is the only person in history to say it. But you're right. He says it over and over again throughout the movie. And, of course, he gets Rip to come to the studio. And Kurt Fuller, I think, realized, he must have realized this was going to be like a B-movie as he was shooting it because he plays into an overdramatic, crazy network executive. Oh, he's a great villain. He's a little over the top, which is perfect for this movie. Yeah. And there's so much going on at the start of this movie where there's a scene where he's yelling at network, his ex- like executive committee, telling them they suck, they can't come up with good ideas. And... He eventually gets Rip into his office to negotiate, but Rip says no. I don't know why Rip is so loyal to this other television network, but he is. And then he, in the first awesome scene, Kurt Fuller, his name is Bren, right? Yeah, or Brell. He gives him a blank check and says, it's blank, sign it. Hulk, or Hulk, again, <laughs> killing myself here. <laughs> I've written Hulk Rip, through all my notes, don't worry. <laughs> right, Rip Rip shoves the check in his mouth and says, I won't be here when this check clears. So there's a lot of poo humor in this movie. That's the first first joke. <laughs> and that's got to be a Vince McMahon rewrite as far as we know Vince's humor. Oh, brilliant. Shades of Ted DiBiase there in, in this first bit of violence. That is true, that is true. And then later on, as Hulk, Hulk, as Rip is leaving, also another thing I note about Rip's attire. So we mentioned his wrestling gear. It's just the white and blue. What do you think of his uh, business wear that he wore to the meeting? This is really true to life, Hulk Hogan, isn't it? Who goes everywhere in spandex, a bandana, and cowboy boots. It's just, um, this is like Hulk smart casual <laughs> wrestling gear. Yeah, yeah, no sleeves, although 
during his dinner date at the Fancy Friends restaurant, he does not wear a bandana. It totally threw me off. Is that where he looks like a? Um, he looks like Lou Ferrigno cosplaying as a Backstreet Boy. <laughs> yes, he's in all white, but he doesn't have a bandana. Why didn't he throw the white bandana on? Oh, he's letting it slip. Anyway, Brell has his limo driver, I guess, try to take him somewhere to get beat up. Rip ends up destroying the limo, kicking at it, which is apparently a bulletproof limo, which I guess if you're a network executive, you need. Rip fights them all off, and eventually the limo driver craps his pants and Hulk, the famous, what's that smell? <laughs> Dookie. Do you know, does Dookie a phrase in Australia? No, it certainly isn't. I, again, had it, no idea what this meant. <laughs> So Dookie, I guess, is going to be a, like a California phrase because uh, it's like a, southern, like a Northern California thing. It means obviously crap or shit. And, uh, but it's not something I, I ever said growing up. I heard the word Dookie for the first time with Green Day's album in 94. Like that was the first time I heard of it. <laughs> this is, and I didn't know what it meant. This is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, though, because you said about the limo being bulletproof as Hulk's trying to kick his way out of it, but it's apparently very lightweight bulletproof because when Hulk kicks the back door, the limo swerves across the road with each kick. Yeah, I know. And like that's what I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, when they park in the garage with all the goons there to beat him up, he somehow from a limo where you can't stand up inside a car, obviously, is able to generate enough power to jump through the roof and about 10 feet into the air. Which, you know, I'll allow in a movie, and I'm being a silly, goofy movie, I'll allow that. I will not allow Hulk Hogan's cowboy boots to make dents in a bulletproof limo and make it (laughs) shape. And and did you catch the stupidest part of the whole thing? Like, you know, he starts trying to beat up the limo from the inside out. But, he, you know, like in a a fancy limousine, you've got like the uh, decanter and the glasses so you can enjoy Mm -hmm. a a drink. He axe handles the glass, which is just going to shatter glass all over the area where he sat. And he like seems really pleased with this outcome. I'm like, I just don't understand it. Well, well, that's because his rips finisher is a double axe handle, if you remember later throughout the movie. (laughs) It is, but like broken glass in the back seat when he's cut off from the front seat is really just going to risk cutting himself. I mean, I guess. <laughs> now, now we're nitpicking. <laughs> A little bit. Now we're nitpicking. Our next scene is going to be Brell and his uh, staff of cronies visit this. It's called the No Count Bar. In this bar... They try to make it a biker slash redneck bar, I guess, and a special appearance by Stan Hansen uh, is the hillbilly uh, tobacco spitting redneck who has what the famous line, the teeny weeny to the guys in the uh, in the bathroom stall. Teeny wanger. Teeny wanger. Yes, exactly. Again, not a phrase very common over here. Did you notice with this scene as well, like the complete juxtaposition where he's got, you've got rip and right beforehand he's in that really really posh french restaurant where you know of course they all know him because he's a regular there but you literally go from like the high society uh scene to what i labeled in my notes as the shittest place on earth exactly all right did i did i do this out of order then so the the restaurant scene was before yeah this bar so. scene? okay okay you're right you're, you're, my notes are off here so yeah so like we were talking about earlier rip gets sent on like uh not a it's not a date it's a his new representative. And, of course, the famous line is Rip's like, why don't anyone ask about, about my charity work? <laughs> That's what we want to know. <laughs> why is it Rip's, Rip's charity work? Why don't will we ever get that question answered? He definitely put so that line gets, in himself. <laughs> he did. And he, get, and he gets sent to this restaurant and this rep for him, who apparently we find out later was sent by Brell to try to trick Hulk, I guess, to join his network or something like that. Yeah. And... 
so they're at this fancy restaurant, this French restaurant, which the first thing I thought was a church because the opening shots of a stained glass window. Again, Rip is in a white tuxedo suit, but no bandana. And it it legit threw me off. So they have their their waiter come up, and he's being all hoity-toity to Rip until one of the busboys recognizes him, and or Rip kind of says hello to him. And then later you find out, like you said, Rip's a regular here. Everybody knows him. And the lady he came with is super embarrassed. And this girl, what was her name? Uh, Joan Severance. Yes. But what's her character's name? Samantha or oh, Sam. S- yeah, Sam, yeah. Because that was the whole yeah, thing, wasn't she... it, where they introduced him to Sam and he's expecting it to be a guy and she walks in. Mm-hmm, exactly. So <laughs> the Wikipedia page for this is great because Samantha Moore, a beautiful corporate spy, is sent by Brell to <laughs> seduce Rip. However, Rip's good nature and dedication to charity win her over. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing. So, all right. So let's go back to the bar where Kurt Fuller Brell gets the idea for the Battle of the Tough Guys. Basically, a no holds barred, uh, original old school UFC type contest he creates where the only rule is nobody dies. Like, that's the only rule. And he decides he's going to broadcast this network on network TV. And this is his big thing. And the winner gets $100,000. And I guess this is his big plan to get. Network ratings up for his failing network, apparently. Yeah, this is this is actually a really good scene. I really love Stan Hansen in this. He just plays his part to perfection. Yeah, and I love him. It's, it's just such a gross place. And again, the poo humor in this movie, the urinals, which are basically troughs. And if you've ever been to like a really old baseball stadium or a really old sports stadium, they have basically troughs instead of your individual urinal. And that's what this is. But it's filled to the brim and like poo. And the guy, the one guy was like, had to go to the bathroom. He's like, you can't hold it. He's like, I didn't go before I went here. It's just like, what's all this potty humor throughout this movie? And also another another note I had here is this movie takes forever to get going. This is like a half hour in. We haven't even seen Zeus yet. The main villain of the movie. Yeah, because it looks as though um, Stan Hansen's going to step up at one point before. um, It's a little while before we get introduced to who the true villain's going to be. Mm-hmm. All right. So then... All right, you're going to have to help me out because one of my notes is off here. So after this battle of tough guys happens, Zeus comes in and basically destroys everyone for the win, right? Like he shows up at the the battle of tough guys event. Yeah, and it's really funny because he shows up like – so they're in this dive bar, which we've talked about how filthy it is, and he comes from an upstairs balcony where a a door like the size of a garage door just falls down and smoke bellows as Zeus walks in, and you think, like, surely there can't be an exit on the second floor, but he comes in (laughs) just looking amazing and just, yeah, comes in and destroys, I think, both guys in the ring and then Stan Hansen as well, doesn't he? He does, and he's now Brel's number one star for the network, and of course, like any good promoter, Brel sees dollar signs, and the the match you got to make is Rip versus Zeus. That's and he knows that's the match he's got to make. Did Meanwhile, you, did, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, watching this scene, did you realize like they actually probably were on the money in this film, just not the path they took. They um effectively invented UFC about five years before it happened. <laughs> Battle of the and Tough Guys did. for all walks of life. Yeah, and they even fight in an octagon. It's amazing. The main event in an octagon. Yeah, it's crazy. And we'll talk about the main event uh, when we get to that. But meanwhile, Sam and Rip are getting along. And they're, they, well, I forgot why 
they were at a hotel together where there's awkward sexual tension. And for me watching this now, it was uncomfortable seeing Hulk Hogan have a love interest. I don't know about you. It, it didn't seem right. I don't want my Hulkster as a romantic lead. It seemed really weird. And um, the, the hotel scene in particular was very odd because it just... it came completely out of left field all of a sudden they're going to share a hotel room um they're both suddenly after knowing each other for all of about a a couple of days are fighting back these romantic feelings but both are so determined not to fall and it just yeah it was completely strange especially when you find out later she was basically sent to seduce him because this was her big moment yeah and she i mean and that makes sense why you know she's wearing a bra to bed and and rip is wearing booty shorts basically (laughs) (laughs) And there's a scene where I don't know, where she looks up because she sees the bed bumping in the middle of the night, and you don't know what it is. It turns out it's Hulk Hulk's heels, Rip's heels, but I guess she was supposed to look at it. She thought it was a butt. I'm just confused what she thought it was. Yeah, because he's effectively doing push-ups on the floor, <laughs> but with his feet on the bed, and it just yeah, it kind of looks like he's dry humping the carpet, doesn't it? It was just really weird. Yeah, and and they end up actually kissing a little bit later on, which was super uncomfortable for me. And this was after a scene where uh, Sam goes back to Brell and basically tells him, he's a great guy, I can't do this. He smacks her in the face, which is, whoa, that's a little over the line for this uh, family movie here. And then he sends someone to rape her, I guess? Like, what the hell was that? At the start, when I said there were two memories that really jarred me, this was the other one. I can't believe we were allowed to watch this as six-year-olds when effectively there was a rape for hire in the middle of the film. Like, why wouldn't he just send someone to beat her up? Why did she have to get assaulted? <laughs> in the car park, on the concrete floor, yeah. Like, it was... And there was another guy as the getaway driver there watching. It was it was really bad. Yeah, and then... But don't worry, Rip shows up on a motorcycle, does a quick glance at her, sees her top has been torn off, says, are you okay? I'll be right back. That's how he says it, too. Are you okay? I'll be right back. Chases goes after a, the guy, yeah. Yeah, and he's laughing the whole time. Like, he didn't seem all that concerned, really. I wonder if Hulk in his contract said, you know, dude, I think it'd be cool if Rip rode a motorcycle here. I'm like, <laughs> I, I love it, Terry. Let's do it, you know? <laughs> Brilliant. They did, and and again, Rip beats the hell out of this guy, and rightfully so, beats the crap out of this guy who attempted to rape this girl. And that's when, later that day, him and her, like, are tickling each other on the couch, and then they kiss, and it just it was so uncomfortable seeing... Hulk Hogan's mustache kissed this attractive woman who I had a big crush on it as a kid at the time, by the way. Like, this is one of my first... Her and, like, Elizabeth Shue in Adventures in Babysitting, I'm like, oh, man, these are not getting any better than these two. Oh, wow. That was the top uh, crushes for me. As a, and, of course, Miss Elizabeth, like every other wrestling fan. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so what do you got? What was the next scene after this one? Is this the, ch- the charity event when Brill and Zeus show up? Um, After this one, I think it's where... um. Randy goes to watch Zeus next. Um, okay, with his mate and like true morons, they go and watch him in this like uh, warehouse with flames and welding and everything going on. Both in rip shirts, like couldn't stand out anymore if they tried. Yeah, and like Rand, I thought I thought they casted Randy well. He looked close enough to oh, this guy could be Hulk Hogan's brother. Like I thought that was a good casting. Yeah, and I thought he was actually pretty solid through the movie. To be fair, I thought he did a pretty good job. He did, and so at the charity event, when Brell and Zeus show up, demand Rip prove his honor by beating Zeus on the bed, all the tough guys, um, because kids are around. And by the way, there's two kids like amateur wrestling, and Hulk does like voiceover, 
great job. You're both winners. Like he's such a good guy, this charity work rip. Um, they actually, yeah. So we did this backwards. The charity event was first. They challenged him. Rip says no. So Randy and his friend Craig decided to check out Zeus themselves. And that's when, you know, Zeus is beating all these guys up and, uh, uh, Brel sees them and says, Oh, we're converting Rip fans. Good. And they're like, no, no, we're, I'm Rip's brother. And that's when they challenge him to a fight and Zeus beats the hell out of him. Randy ends up in the hospital. And then we have a very dramatic scene and I wanted to crap on Hulk for this, but he did a pretty good job where he's, you know, talking to his, his brother who's been beat up. He feels like it's his fault and he gets some tears going. I was impressed by Terry Hulk Hogan here. Yeah. That was probably one of the most dramatic scenes in the whole film. Um, and it was pretty good. You know that the scene we've completely skipped over, though, that we, we have to go back to okay. is the attempted robbery at the diner. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that was a throwaway scene. It didn't make it. It had nothing to do with the plot. That's why we forgot it. So go ahead. We <laughs> Nothing to do with the movie. Go ahead. Did you ever see uh, the Superman movie Man of Steel? Yes. So, you know, like I watched that movie at the cinemas and I come away with it shaking my head. I'm like, he's supposed to be the good guy and he's done more damage to the city than 9-11. Like he flew mm-hmm. through, a, a, you know, a hundred skyscrapers and crushed the city. Hulk Hogan is in this diner where, of course, they all know him, even though it's in a completely different town and they all love him. And these three goons with guns come in and want to hold the place up. Hulk Hogan manages to take down three armed robbers with throwing pies at them but in beating them up does so much damage like he destroys the diner and gets a standing I, ovation I, uh, for it <laughs> they'd be better off just giving them the money out the till you totally buried the lead here by saying he d- handles them by throwing pies at them <laughs> and that's something if you like read that on the script or we just say that you're like wait what but yes that's what he does hulk throws pie rip throws pies these bad guys first he if, if anyone's ever been to a diner you know there's the booths and there's like a bar where people have coffee and there are these little stools. He rips one of the stools out of the ground, throws it at them, and that's when it first goes kind of haywire. But yeah, we forgot about this. And I forgot, I didn't have notes about it because it had nothing to do with the plot of the movie at all. I guess it helped Sam fall a little bit more for Rip, maybe, but it nothing to do with the plot of the movie. No, other than making him look tough and, and feeding his ego, it really didn't add anything to the story at all. <laughs> It did make him feel, it made him, you know, like, a, again, like a good guy. Uh, so we mentioned his brother Randy got beat up. He's in traction, I guess, in a coma. And they do like a montage. One, well, another thing we forgot about um, before we get back to Randy is Rip destroys Zeus's training studio. Like destroys it, throws, throws like knocks down lights, hits mirrors and breaks more glass because he's so upset that Zeus beat up his brother. And he could, in, in this scene here, we find out that he could easily go to the Olympics for javelin or the world tour for darts because he picks up a barbell and spears it into the lens of a camera hanging from the ceiling. Just an amazing shot. Yeah, and then Brell and his cronies are watching and they kind of like duck as it's coming at their TV screen like they're going to get hit with his barbell. <laughs> oh, man. Another thing that was awkward to me was the montage of Randy's recovery, which... <laughs> yeah. it, like what was like one of my highlights is like okay they put him on like a gurney board and lower him into like a tub I'm like what is happening here and it was uh over it was with music very very similar to like the Lex Luger I'll be your hero theme wasn't yeah. it <laughs> yeah this has a lift I think they were like aiming for the Rocky background even to the point of Rip's trainer 
was like a, a older black guy who was kind of like Apollo Creed, looked like Apollo Cruz's Apollo Cruz, Apollo Creed's trainer from the Rocky movies a little bit. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the um, the revelation earlier in the film that he used to train Zeus, but Zeus was out of control. So, some yeah, real good inter- intertwining of the story here. Yeah. So then, this big match, this huge matchup that Brel's going to get, and his network, his network's going to huge rating, huge numbers. A couple things about this. They treat it like not a wrestling match, but a fight. Like, okay, I kind of get that. Like, this is a fight, like we said. He's like an original UFC. It's not at an arena. It's at a television studio, which was a little awkward and odd. I, you, you think Brel's going to book an arena for this. This is money. Yeah, I thought when I watched that scene, there's money left on the table. This looks more like the AWA than the WWF. <laughs> yeah, or like uh, the new, the NWA on YouTube or something. But yeah, yeah it's like a, it's a television studio, but everyone's dressed to the nines. Everyone's got uh, tuxedos on and suits. It's just like a, a big profile fight you'd see in Las Vegas or something for a UFC or a boxing show. Like the high rollers are, are showing up for this. And essentially, they're showing up for a blood sport, like, fight to the death. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really strange because everything um, up until this point has been filmed in, like, the worst places on Earth. And now it's a high-rolling event only. Well, you know, we didn't, we didn't really get into the details of how well, like, the Bell of Tough Guys must have done the ratings for it to get this type of hype. To get really high rollers, you know, were there, were there tickets sold for this? Was it invite only? Did you, could you get your, Could you buy your way in? A lot of unanswered questions from this movie. Indeed. All right. So Sam comes to the fight and she is escorted upstairs by the goons because Brel says he wants her to see him get destroyed, get ripped, destroyed from the skybox, which is really just the kind of the production office of the studio. It was a little weird. Uh, And then she is up there with some goons and some cops. Rip is in the back getting ready to go out. And he's like, where's Randy? It's not right without Randy. Randy shows up in a wheelchair, which later we find out probably not the best plan for him as he gets beat up a little bit more. <laughs> Poor kid can't catch a break. And uh, again, this this final match, you know, I think in their head when they were shooting this movie, they're like, this is going to be a climax. It's going to be so great. But to me, it just felt like it went on forever. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And you talk about the money being invested into this. How did they manage to get two cops to kidnap Sam? So there's obviously big money behind this fight. But yeah, um, it it wasn't as dramatic as it should have been. And to be honest, I blame the production on this because when Hulk got on, on the offense after taking a lengthy beatdown, which is your typical Hulk Hogan match put into a movie scene, his offense looked really poor. His punches weren't connecting and we got close-ups on them. Yeah, and that was weird. But again... It felt like like all the pre-fight stuff I thought was great, like the entrances and like the crowd and everyone's kind of like on edge of their seat, like, ooh, this is like a happening event we're at. And I just, I don't know why I love the touch of everyone dressed to the nines for this event. Like that, I like invented in my head all these scenarios, these people like, yeah, honey, I got his tickets to the Zeus rip fight tonight. Oh my God, how'd you get those tickets, you know? <laughs> But there was a thing. And like, where is it? You know, where would... This is, I'm assuming, in California. It's like, oh, is it at the Staples Center? No, no, no. It's at the TV studio on the lot. (laughs) Uh, And then the fight happens. Uh, Eventually, like you said, Rip hulks up, basically. Uh, Hits him with the axe handle. Zeus falls to the ground, but he gets back up. Eventually throws Randy down and kicks him again. This poor kid. Meanwhile, Sam escapes the henchman 
by literally just sneaking out, like walking backwards. It felt like as long as this last fight scene was, it was also super rushed. Like they tried yeah. to fit in so much stuff. The, the premise of, of kidnapping Sam, of course, was that Brell was forcing Rip to throw the fight after 10 minutes. And while they had Sam, he'd have to do what he was told. But Sam getting there before 10 minutes was up meant Hulk could, or Rip could Hulk up and, and fight back and actually win this fight instead. But I mean, really, Brell had, but Brell wasn't confident in Zeus then? I'm confused. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter Zeus who could wins. take him out. <laughs> well, maybe revenge. And in the end, everyone, oh, so eventually Rip gets the W. You know, by uh, pushing Zeus off the top of a balcony and he falls through the ring in a where Vince probably got the idea later on for the big show and Brock Lesnar have the ring collapse. <laughs> yes. This was the fir- first ring collapse ever Zeus goes through. So is he, Zeus is dead, I guess? He's yeah, and he might paralyzed. not be the only one either. <laughs> Yeah, let's. What's what happens to our friend uh, Brell? What happens to him? Well, we get some very WWE special effects here as Brell gets angry and starts hitting. Like he's in a little TV studio on the top, on the second floor of this. Uh, well, they're all in a studio. He's in a control room, I should say, uh, very much like the event center you would see Sean Mooney in, right? But he's hitting screens and keyboards, and every time he hits one, they spark. Like when you throw a monitor in WWE, and it sparks somehow. And yeah. Rip stalks him into the back of these monitors and he falls back and they spark and burn and I'm assuming electrocute him to death here and everybody in their nice suit and ties eating their lobster dinner watches a man murdered in front of their very eyes. There's two people killed at this event and everyone's cool with it. Did they just go home? It's like, how was it? Oh, it was pretty good. It was a good fight. And like, was this on pay? This wasn't on pay-per-view, right? It was on the network. Like, come on, you could losing money here. I could see why Brell was in such a bind and why he was such a bad businessman with these terrible decisions he's making here. <laughs> and then and then it just kind of ends. Rip does the rip him sign, freezes on him, and that's the movie. Like, nothing happens. <laughs> he gets a big pop for the death as well, actually. The crowd seemed to appreciate the murder. You know, I guess if you came for a, a fight to the death, you want to see a death. So these people wanted to see it. This movie, uh, again, we came out in 89... The uh, it was an eight million dollar budget and around sixteen million dollars at the box office, so it was profitable. It was panned by critics, as you could imagine. Um, but as kids, we didn't care. Like, it, if I was a kid, like in old, let's say I was like eleven or twelve, old enough to go to the movies by myself, I hundred percent would have saw this in the theater. Oh, for sure, me too. You know, and also the music by Jim Johnston. That's why the music sounds so familiar. It's the WWF uh, composer also did the music for this movie. The uh, The rumor is, as Hulk said in his book, and Hulk's book is basically a, a work of fiction, that him and Vince rewrote the whole movie like the week before the, uh, the, sh- the movie shoot started, which explains a lot. Yeah, I believe that 100%. <laughs> All right, so the movie ends... Uh, there's a few more background notes we can talk about. Particularly, there was the No Holds Bar, the movie, and the match that took place on December 12th, uh, 1989, and aired on December 27th, 89. So right after Christmas, kids are home from break. On pay-per-view, you can order the movie, and then right after will be a match, which is Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake versus Zeus and Macho King Randy Savage in a steel cage. I'm guessing you didn't order this event. I watched this on Super Tape as a kid. Right. Um, I do remember the match, and I watched it again today, actually, just because I knew we were doing this, and I thought, oh, I might just watch it just in case we talk about it. 
Yeah, I watched it too. And uh, the Blu-ray edition I have, I mentioned, so it has a couple bonus matches. But the the negative is they edit out Jesse Ventura's commentary. So there's long pauses after Vince is done talking. Just so you don't have to, they don't have to pay Jesse rights, I guess, for his, his voiceovers. But I have seen this match a ton. And I remember loving it as a kid. And I still kind of liked it now. It was fun. It seemed like a really good end to the Hogan-Zeus feud. I can't imagine how anyone thought that Hogan and Zeus would sell at WrestleMania six after this because Hogan pretty well squashes him in this match. Yeah, and also at the end of this match, so the the rules of the tag team steel cage match is both members have to get out. So Macho King and Beefcake are out of the cage, but then for some reason Bruce is allowed to go back in and Hulk says, no, no, I want to take Zeus out myself, and then he does. First off, terrible decision by Hulkster in, in kayfabe, but he ends up, like you said, squashing Zeus, and that's the end of him. Yeah, um, it was just, he throws him into the cage a few times, a couple of clotheslines and body slams, three leg drops, and actually, even though the rules of the match are both men escapes, he calls Earl Hebner in to counter pin instead. He, he does his own thing, and that's and I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the movie in the match was a cool idea. And I don't know if they could ever do something like that again, especially with the network, but it'd be very cool if they did. I, I, I like the idea of kids at home on winter break and it's a couple day after, days after Christmas. Like, hey, could I have another Christmas present? Could we order this on pay-per-view? I think that'd be a, a fun night in for me. Oh, I'd have begged um, for that for sure. I wish they'd put all these films up on the network. I understand there's probably licensing issues, but imagine being able to watch No Holds Barred and Suburban Commando and all that on the network. It would be amazing. Even the WWE films. Yeah, I, I I would like some of the WWE films on there, particularly some like the Marine ones. I've rewatched like one was on like on demand the other day was like the Marine Five, I think, was starring the Miz and Summer Rae, and like it was really bad, but like I watched the whole thing, so I would love to have that on there. <laughs> well, that's my notes um, about this film. It literally says acting terrible, stunts terrible, storyline ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's fair so okay so let's give this a uh i don't want to do thumbs up thumbs down so let's go star rating there's five stars five being the best one being the worst what are you going to give this movie and now you can do it with two rally like two ratings one an actual rating and two your nostalgia rating for for it okay the actual rating as a film as a whole if i didn't know anyone involved in this it's can't be higher than two, possibly lower. Um, two is a high, high bar for you. Uh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Two would be my very generous rating. It's probably a one and a half star film. Um, yeah. For the nostalgia rating, um, and particularly having watched the match as well and knowing Zeus, like, I actually genuinely really enjoyed this. Um, I was able to, like, I, I think the fact that I was watching it to talk about with you and was poking holes in it to laugh about as opposed to being angry yeah. or annoyed, like, I loved it. I, I would definitely watch this again. So the, the movie, the match combo, I'd probably give it three stars on the nostalgia scale. That Yeah, that's, that's very good. So I'd say for me, for actual movie, it's like one, maybe one and a half, just because of Hulk's acting chops and because of how great Kurt Fuller was as a villain. Uh, that's my one. The half star is Hulk crying. So he get the one star is for Kurt Ford and the half star is for Hulk's crying scene. The uh, nostalgia portion for me, again, I'm going to like, I'm going to give it three. You know, this isn't going to be super high because it's, it's just so weird to describe because I love bad wrestling stuff. I love it. But this is like teeters just on the edge of, is this so good? It's bad. Or is it just bad? It teeters like back and forth. It's such a fine line. And there's just, there's not a ton of memorable quotes from this movie. 
the only one I could think of is why won't they ask me about my charity work? <laughs> like that's one of my favorite <laughs> ones. And of course, Jockass, but Jockass is just annoying. Yeah, Dookie's probably the one that I've never forgotten from like watching this as a kid. I'll never forget that guy going, Dookie. Uh-huh, he does. And I, I do appreciate the amount of effort they went into making his pants and his back of his suit dark wet. So good on them for the special <laughs> effects, man. That was that was great. So I mean, I'm not mad I rewatched this movie. I own it. I own I own three versions of this movie. I own the VHS, I own the DVD, and I own the Blu-ray. So I'm not one to talk about it being bad. But uh, it's it. I for me, I could I could not imagine sitting with this movie with my wife and like watching it together. I think she would just walk away immediately after the first couple scenes. <laughs> oh no, I wait. I waited until my wife went to bed and watched this solo. <laughs> I agree with you on that. So funny story. So I'm watching this today when my kids are napping, and they woke up at about I don't know, like near the end of the movie, and it was the scene when the, when the rape was about to happen. And my wife's like. <laughs> should she be watching this and my daughter's four i'm like probably not you know <laughs> but whatever so she she kind of watched a little bit of it luckily it didn't get too too risque but uh eventually we we kind of shoot her away from it particularly during the last fight scene she doesn't need to see that type of violence in her life as a four-year-old no fair fair cool good parenting that is yeah what age would you show this to a child what's a fit what's a good we saw we were Five, six, seven. What's a good age yeah, for some, see, a kid to watch this? And that scene makes me think we probably shouldn't have been watching it then. But I don't think I really understood what was going on at that age either. So, I don't know. For a boy, maybe, like, this would be okay by the time they're, like, eight or nine. But when I was young, I watched a lot of, like, I don't know. It, back when you could rent a VHS and be left alone and your parents didn't bother checking up on you all that often, I got away with a lot more than kids do these days. I think everybody did from our generation too. Like I showed my daughter Adventures in Babysitting the other day, thinking I watched this a ton as a kid. It's a PG movie, and like the first like five minutes, they're talk. There's like homophobic references, and there's like swear words. I'm like, oh my god, why did my parents let me watch this? <laughs> but <laughs> it was different time, check. different. The only rule was I remember growing up: as long as there was no nudity, I was good to watch it. Good call. Good call. That that was our ring, but. All right. Well, this was a fun look back at this movie for sure. Um, thank you. I'm glad we got to do this. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for oh, calling. Oh, my pleasure. In. My pleasure. Uh, go ahead with your plugs for your show. I know your show is a little unique. You guys do uh, look back. You compare shows of the same era and uh, yeah. decide which one was better. So kind of give the summary of your show where people can find it, all the other stuff. Yeah, well, if you've not got enough from the other 5,000 wrestling podcasts out there and you want one that's really poorly done with a terrible accent, check mine out. Look at that. Come on. <laughs> no, what I do is I just compare two shows. Uh, I try not to get too heavy in the research because I don't want to be biased, but I'll take two shows from similar time frames, generally Raw and Nitro on the same night or competing pay-per-views from the same month, and just watch them both as a fan with no history other than what I remember and say which one I would have enjoyed more if I was watching them both at the time. So... Um, yeah, it's good fun, good laugh, and just gives me a reason to keep going back and watching old wrestling because the new stuff, I'm pretty sure a lot of us are in the same boat, doesn't really have the same effect anymore. Yep, and you guys can find him on Twitter at Raw is Nitro Pod, and they can find all the show info there, all the fun links, and all that. Twitter's the easiest way, it seems like, for everyone to interact. It's one app, it's easy. There's links, there's all the other stuff. So, Raw is Nitro Pod, finally on there. And give him a listen, and that roaring introduction, or, or um, the roaring uh, endorsement he gave himself, ignore. It's a fun <laughs> show. Um, you, There is a lot of podcasts out there, but it is fun every once in a while to, to switch it up from Blue Chew ads and from 
uh, oh stamps.com ads and all the other stuff and, and interviews and everyone burying companies to have fun and listen to other fans talk. So I like to switch that up a bit. We've got a bunch of podcast buddies. You guys are one of them. The, our vantage point, fully posable, uh, doing the favor, tons of other podcasts we listen to, uh, ringside podcast. I forget everybody. So I try to do a podcast shout out once a week and I usually forget people. So I apologize, but I just know you guys are on my subscribe list. We don't listen to every episode, but we do listen to a lot, especially me as someone who likes to take walks now and go for drives and stuff. It's a good distraction too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm catching up on every man and his dog's podcast while we're locked in the house at the moment. Yep. And there's a, a podcast I guess I'm going to start, I think like podcast 99 about the 1999 Woodstock I'm going to start and lots of fun stuff. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, all the fun podcasts we get to listen to and I'm glad we got to do this and uh, you have a good start to your week. I'm going to go to bed in a little bit here and you're going to start your day. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, really enjoyed it and love listening to the show every week. If I could get more stories on your show about Eric beating up kids in the schoolyard, I'd be very, very happy. Oh my God. <laughs> the funny thing with Eric is like, there's so many like stories he forgets about until the show. And he's like, I haven't <laughs> thought about this in years. I'm like, thank you for bringing these up because that's what these podcasts do is you, you think of stuff that you haven't thought about in years. Like we, we haven't thought about you know, no holds barred and like, wait a minute, we watched this in years. And like I said, I remember I, I thought of my memory of the buy one, get one rentals and why this was my add on rental all the time. And you know, it's, you thought the new release stuff, it's, it's cool memories to trigger. And hopefully we triggered everyone else's memories. Last thing, if someone has never seen no holds bar, do they have to watch it? Would we recommend them taking 90 minutes to watch this movie? If they're a wrestling fan, they absolutely have to. Um, okay. If they're not, if they're not a wrestling fan, they have to be a fan of bad movies. What if they are a fan that hasn't seen the movie in a long time? They haven't seen it since they was a kid. They definitely have to watch it then, right? Oh, for sure. It's gonna it's gonna shock their senses and make them think of things they've not <laughs> thought about in a long time. You've got to go back and watch it. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. 